This podcast is a part of the Carbon Almanac Network of Podcasts. Hi, I'm Imma. I live in Scotland. Hi, I'm Jen and I'm from Canada. Hi, I'm Oladranji and I'm from Nigeria. Hello, I'm Liki and I live in Paris. Hey, I'm Rod. I'm from Peru. Welcome to Carbon Sessions, a podcast with carbon conversations for every day with everyone from everywhere in the world. In our conversations, we share ideas, perspectives, questions, and things we can actually do to make a difference. So don't be shy and join our Carbon Sessions because it's not too late. Okay, hi, I'm Leaky. Hi, I'm Jen. I'm Brian. <laughs> and today we are talking about no clear fusion. Okay, we're recording this episode in in December. This is the second week of December. And this episode will probably be released in January, but something something major broke the news last week. This week, actually, two days ago. So tell us more. <laughs> The the real definition of a newsflash. <laughs> right. Um, well, I think, you know, it's exciting. The, um, the you know, some U.S. scientists, although I will give a quick shout out here. Some people have commented and noted that there's a number of groups in Europe also working and were near this kind of uh, milestone as well. But maybe the war in Ukraine slowed down some of their progress. But for the moment, uh, here in December, some U.S. scientists uh, have a, achieved what's called ignition in a, in a fusion reaction, um, which and, and sort of overcome this ignition barrier. We'll come back and dive a little bit into fusion, but it sort of means that they produced more energy than it took to create that amount of energy creation. Um, and so that's a, a super exciting milestone. You know, I've listened to podcasts only four or five months ago that were all about fusion, and it was like, well. It's always only 10 years away before we're going to achieve this, you know, crossing this ignition energy barrier where we're actually drawing more power out of the reaction than went into creating the reaction. But here we are in December of 2022, and we've crossed that barrier. Um, and it's super duper exciting. And I think holds, you know, a lot of exciting stuff for us to chat about here. Um, you know, I guess I would turn and ask... Uh, Leaky, you know, you you were sharing and sort of talking a little bit about the amount of energy in any one country driven by different sources of energy. And, you know, fusion is not one that's driving for any country right now, but something somewhat similar to fusion, nuclear power, yes, yeah. is, is dominant in your country, correct? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, as you know, I'm in France, and in France, the, the source of energy is mainly nuclear because... I don't know if you um you if you are aware of there was the um, crisis the oil crisis in seven in the seventies and um and the government decided to to develop the energy sector uh, the um, nuclear energy sector there was this very famous phrase uh, that says oh en France on n'a pas de pétrole mais on a des idées which means in France, we have no oil, but we have lots of ideas. And the idea was to switch everything into uh, to nuclear power. And so um, 
I think before all the uh, the you know uh, the 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 problems in Japan, France was leading the nuclear energy sector, and um, I think that seventy percent of our energy comes from nuclear um, nuclear plants in France. It used to, uh, not anymore, because um, a lot of them are being under repair these days. Um, but this is something that we've been using for a while, and um, and I know that's very controversial. <laughs> It's a very controversial topic, but so far we didn't have any problem in France. Um, I get very excited about the fusion, uh, the nuclear fusion power, as opposed to fission, which is when you get the energy when when you separate the atoms, right? So this is the energy that is uh, used today, and the problem of it is that it creates. A lot of waste. No, it creates waste. No, I shouldn't say a lot of waste. It creates waste and it's difficult because it's potent for a long time and um, there are accidents. Whereas the um, energy that comes from fusion um, is the energy that's, that powers the sun. And this is the type of energy that comes from fusion, so from the atoms melting. And it's safer. And um, and it seems to be an incredible um, source of energy that is um, that does not emit carbon. So it's clean energy. So there was a lot of hope. But um, as you said, um, yeah, we are maybe ten years away. But you know, I work a lot with uh, students, and uh, they told me that there was this joke. Um, I, I work a lot with um, engineering students. And they told me that this is a joke, and let me pull the joke. Uh, among physicists, uh, let me see, I think it's, uh, yeah, there's a joke that says, oh, nuclear fusion energy is 20 years away, and it will always be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a joke because actually the technology, um, and again, I'm not a physicist, I'm not a scientist at all, but I know that this type of energy existed um, since the 50s. Basically, it comes from a bomb. It's a very, very powerful bomb. It's called um, um, H-bomb. It's a hydrogen bomb, which is like, I don't know how many times more potent than it is uh, as compared to the atomic bomb, but it's really, really, really bad. But then we saw the potential in transforming it and in using it, this type of, t- this technology and to generate energy and, and to plug it to, into our grids. But there are a lot of problems that needs to be solved before that. So that's why it took so long. Agreed. I was going to say, you know, just t- commenting back on the beginning part of your uh, commentary there, Leaky. I, you know, I'm here in the United States in New York, and I actually live near a nuclear power plant that is in the process, as many are in other parts of the world, of actually being decommissioned. And over concerns of their potential, you know, fallout kind of situation as it relates to, you know, systems failures. And so many around the world of this, what is otherwise a very clean type of energy source that doesn't contribute to our, our sort of the, the imbalance in our carbon cycle, many nuclear power plants are actually being decommissioned out of concerns over their age, their safety protocols, those kind of things. And I live in an area where, you know, my energy now is this power plant becomes decommissioned because we don't yet have a fusion replacement. Now that energy that I otherwise would be consuming and the people in the local area, including New York City, would be consuming is now going to come from other plants 
It might be natural gas powered or yeah. coal powered, you know, maybe a little bit of hydro, maybe a little bit of solar, a little bit of wind, but, but they all have those have other sort of negative impacts into this carbon cycle imbalance. And it's going to actually have an impact as well to the cost, right? The, the, because the nuclear is actually was already built and very cost efficient, um, it's actually going to raise the electricity rates. Now, I happen to have a full solar array, so we're self-powered in my house, but most mm -hmm. people aren't. And so it's interesting. I think one of the conversations around fusion comes back to the same thing. If you compare the different sources of energy out there in the marketplace, um, the cost to produce a kilowatt hour used as a standard measuring thing, you know, varies across these different technologies, nuclear, coal, natural gas fired, hydro, wind, solar, and fusion hold potential because as you mentioned, the, the, the ingredients that go into making fusion work are yeah, readily abundantly available and don't create this, this sort of like um, waste material that has to be dealt with uh, like uh, depleted uranium does and those kind of impacts. And so it's readily available materials. And if we can get this equation right, or this is the great hope, is that we can get this balance right where less energy goes in, you know, two yeah. megajoules go in and we get three megajoules of energy out. Well, then that can be this sort of self-fulfilling, like, and then help start powering all the rest of it. But for right now, some of the commentary and has been around you know, on this discovery as well. For right now, we actually have an amazing source of fusion power, and it's actually our sun. Our sun is producing fusion yes. power every single day. I mean, today for me, it's very rainy and wet, and I don't see much of the fusion power, but it's, but it's producing all this fusion power there in the sun, which we receive as solar energy. Um, and so I think there's a, a little bit of a question of like, what's going to happen with fusion, when when does it come into play and become a cost affordable thing, and does it re, does does it mean that we need to not be worried about our sources of energy and our our carbon cycle imbalance now? And I turn Jen. Do you have thoughts on this? Yeah, I was just uh, doing a little research on on what was happening where I am. I'm in Canada. I'm in Western Canada in British Columbia. Um, and it seems that there were there are about 22 nuclear power reactors in Canada, but only 19 of them are working. And most of them are in Ontario, which is uh, is more central, uh, eastern central. Um, there are the one in Quebec decided to shut down about 10 years ago because of the same kinds of things that we had talked about um, about safety and um, and efficiency. And I know that here in British Columbia, we have a lot of water and there, uh, there's a big argument going on that it's been going on for years. Um, our government decided to purchase a, um, a pipeline, which caused a lot of controversy and there are protests and there are all sorts of things going on. Um, we've got a, a big dam that's being constructed in the north called the Site C Dam. Um, and uh, and the idea is to dam a very powerful river uh, for hydroelectric power. Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of power discussions, and and so this this caused me a bit of hope, <laughs> especially given the the reduction of carbon, like no carbon output, and the possibility that if we could do what we did with the pandemic and everybody jump on board and try and get this pushed farther ahead you know it seems to be like when there's an urgent matter 
like the pandemic, sorry, that's Charlie shaking. Um, like the pandemic where every scientist could focus their energy and their money. Um, if we could all, everyone, scientists everywhere, yeah. <laughs> focus their energy and their money on this, then, then there's real hope. Yeah, for for reducing our carbon and and giving energy to everyone. Then, wow. You know, Jim, there was a uh, a great little piece I I read on the fundraising in 2022, uh, as it relates to there were 33 main companies that were sort of raising funds and focusing on fusion of meaningful size and and fundraising scale, and the amount that was fundraised was a fraction of, the, I think it was in total $3 billion, if I recall correctly, but I could be slightly wrong on that, so don't quote me. But I do recall that it was a fraction, like less than 10% of the same amount of money raised for uh, companies focusing on addressing like short-term delivery, like delivering restaurant food to your door and short and delivering packages to your door and like, technology around like uber eats i don't know if you have these where you are yeah. but things like uber Eats or grubhub or those things like much yeah. more money more than 10 times money was raised for those services in 2022 than mm. for nuclear fusion but this 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 big milestone might change that we may see a change in the future so i'm i'm hopeful that things do go in the direction that there's more funding dollars resources you know federal for you know, every country, you know, dollars are allocated toward uh, and therewith with the money goes the time and energy from scientists and engineers. I, I hope it does go that way. Yeah. And I, I, I want to go back to um, the urgency that you mentioned, Jen. I Actually, I said something that was not totally right, because when I said, oh, yeah, well, in France, we, in Europe, we've been working on this topic for long and uh, it's been slowed down because of the war of Ukraine which is partly true, but not totally true, because um, um, as, you, as you mentioned, Brian, there are different ways of, different ways of, um, of getting the potential of the uh, nuclear fusion. And uh, so it's true for one project, which is laser-based, uh, which is based in France, in Bordeaux, and um, they, were, they were waiting for like, uh, steel delivery to, to work on the, on the laser thing. But then there's another project, which is, and you probably have heard of it because it's an international project, which is called ITER, which stands for, hang on just one minute, um, stands for International Thermonuclear Experimental Reactor. And this is a project, it's an international project, and it has European Union, China, US, Russia, India. So a lot of countries are involved in this project. And they're building a new reactor. And this new reactor is based somewhere, okay, somewhere in France. And um, and um, the test should start some the test should start sometime in uh, it gets your dog very excited. Oh, gets your dog very excited. No, so it's, uh, the reactor uh, was supposed to start uh, being to start operating in 2027 or 25, and um, because of the urgency and it because it's an international project, there was a lot of, um, of fear because um, Russia is part of this project, and uh, this year uh, Russia has um, um, is um, is supposed to deliver one of the magnets 
one of the six magnets for this project, a big, very, very big magnet, because this is another technology that uses magnets. And actually, because there's an urgency, and despite the war situation, they still delivered this magnet to this project. So I think this kind of urgency goes beyond the war situation. So yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I think this is this is a, this is great. That's great to hear. I, yeah. That may be a good moment, Leaky, to talk for a, a second about the different kinds of a, of technical approaches to fusion, because you know, it, and again. I'm also not a scientist, physicist, engineer, or expert in this, as none of us on this uh, podcast are. But it is interesting because the, the, the ITER project you're referring to is, is following this method referred to as tokamak, where there are these really big magnetic um, uh, components that create this sort of donut-shaped field. The plasma is moving around at super fast speed constrained by the magnet, these tokamak magnets, these big things that Russia just delivered one of, which is great to hear. This newest um, uh, breakthrough that just happened, you know, for us this week here in December, um, out at the Lawrence Livermore Labs, um, which I have to have a quick shout out. I, it just dawned on me. I actually have a coworker who works at Lawrence Livermore. So I've got to call him. He now works there. He Ooh. worked many years ago, um, uh, not on this project, on, on other things. But but so the approach they did was a different kind of approach where they had all these lasers, 192 different lasers all focused. And they do use magnets to create some magnetic field around it and create the precision. But it's not the same as the Tokamak project where they focus all these lasers at this little seed pellet um, and sort of like create all this pressure because all the lasers hit all at just the right second, all perfectly aligned and, and whatnot. Um, so it's interesting because there's there's essentially two competing approaches to achieving this kind of ignition fusion energy. There's two different models at play here. I would uh, not say competing. I would say complementary because yeah, uh... complementary, right, right. But like <laughs> yeah, it's like you know, it's like um, in early in the early days of the invention of the bicycle, there were different like form factors yes. that were being experimented with, and like, and we now have current form factor. That sort of became that you know under pressure of evolutionary pressures became the form factor that we all know today. But in the beginning, there were numerous different form factors that were, you know, being tested out and tried. And, and here we've got the ITER project is sort of one form factor, and the the Livermore Labs project that just achieved this this little milestone is a different form factor. It's like a different style of achieving the goal uh, and structure. So it's exciting to see that there's more than one thing in motion because it feels to me that that diversity of approach maybe hopefully will lead to even more likelihood of outcome of success. Isn't that true of many things like the radio and the, the light bulb? There were all sorts of things that were um, being dreamed up in various places. Um, and, uh, and so it's funny how that all of a sudden breakthroughs happen in multiple places around the same subject. I think that's so amazing. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you, because we've been, we're talking now a lot about uh, nuclear fusion in the past few days. And I don't know if you remember uh, in Back to the Future, um, there was a scene where, um, I can't, what's the name of the doc? Well, the doc goes to Marty and say, okay, well, I need to take you to the future because uh, because you know, there's an urgent matter to, that needs to, you to, to help solve. 
And um, so he has his car and he goes to the to the garbage and picks some some garbage and put into like a kind of grinder in his car. And this grinder is attached to his car and it says uh, Mr. Fusion. So I believe that this is this this kind of thing was like um, a portable um, fusion reactor on the car. So maybe <laughs> the future will be like this. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the Future invented. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he goes yeah. and gets literally some. I remember that scene. He's in an alleyway and he gets some like banana peels and things, yeah. puts them in the car. And yeah. And, and yeah. yeah. So this is probably, this might be the future. I mean, the future that some people dreamt of and there might be our future. But yeah. well, the problem is that it's, it's not tomorrow because it takes a long, long time for it to. That's very cool, yeah. though. I, I remember, I was just going to say, I remember when my son was a little boy and he, we asked him what, um, what he wanted Santa to bring him. And he said, a watch that I can watch TV on. And this was in the <laughs> 1990s. There was no such thing. <laughs> and so, you know, Santa had a really hard time because <laughs> there was no such thing. And Santa was too busy to invent it that year. But <laughs> um, but isn't it interesting that our human imagination and creativity can come up with the solutions that that the world needs when we need it? So that that brings me hope. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that because of this breakthrough, uh, we can and we should stop, you know, what we're doing now to try to reduce carbon emission because it takes sometime right yeah we do right we this this isn't a technology that will solve our problems tomorrow this is exciting we can be very excited we've made a forward progress but and maybe this is a moment to even sort of acknowledge um that there are still parts in this breakthrough that the measurement of again using two you know megajoules turned into three that doesn't mean that it's fully taking into account all of the other energies that went into producing the machine, the equipment. Like we, we, there's still many more breakthroughs needed to make this commercially viable in a way that is competitive with these other energy sources, be it nuclear, be it coal or natural gas, cost competitive, I don't mean impact competitive, um, or solar or wind or hydro. You know, it's, it's still... There's many more breakthroughs still needed to get there, which means, as you said, Leaky, you know, we, we need to keep doing the things we're doing now to help change the course of our planetary, you know, trajectory, because we can't just hold our breath for this. This what may be a contributing benefit that helps us in the future, but it, it's still years away, maybe decades. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So we keep talking. And we keep doing. So we keep talking. <laughs> we keep doing, but I'm just, I'm just thinking of something about. Uh, okay, we're not making any investment advice. We're not giving any investment advice here. But because you say that Brian, that there's very little in investment going into these companies as compared to like your deliveries and all these um, other type of um, businesses. Maybe one way to support this is to 
look for investment funds that goes into this type of investment. But again, we're not making any, <laughs> we're not giving any investment advice here. But it's just, it's just something that crossed my mind. Well, it's just, it's, you know, as a consumer, you have power, right? So what can you do with your power as a consumer? Yeah. Well, and Leaky, wasn't it, if I recall correctly, we, we just recorded a podcast that our listeners would, will hopefully have just listened to here in early January. And in that, we talked about some of your thoughts and plans for your New Year's resolutions and, and going forward to the new year. And am I recalling correctly that one of yours was banking and actually yes. like shifting yes. where you're doing your banking and you're investing because that is a thing that you can do and control where your dollars are. Yes. And with what institution and what that institution is doing with, with your dollars. Yes. And, and that is, that's how many of these things are being funded, right? So yeah. we do have that power. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, excited. Well, I will say we didn't even touch on anything, but I think I added to my like, new, you know, New Year's resolution after our recording session a week ago, uh, I was really reflecting on your banking one. Um, and I was like, oh, I, that's a thing. I, I, I can go make those changes. I, I know how to go do it. It's accessible. I know which I, I think I understand sort of some of the moves to make. I need to do a little bit more research, maybe pick your brain, but. I think I can go make some changes that influence that. And so that, that is a thing. And, and hopefully that will lead to some more funding for progressive projects like this, rather than funding for the next coal-fired power plant. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's good. That's been fun. What else? Is there anything else about fusion that I that sort of excites you all? I mean, I can... I've got one thing that I, I wanted to add in as like a little bit of a, 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 goes off in a bit of a tangent. Is it okay if I go on a tangent? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Go on a tangent. Well, you know, my, my tangent had to do with, and this is, you know, moving a little bit in direction, but as you start to think about a future state where energy, if, you know, if you can put two things into something and get three of them back out, right? You start to, right? It becomes a, a fulfilling cycle that starts to become, in a certain sense, maybe unlimited energy. So again, I fully recognize that, and that this is not our next five years, 10 years, 15, probably not 20 or 30 years. Like I'm, I'm, I'm looking much farther into the future. But with unlimited energy, it turns into a little bit of a question of what does that change in, you know, world geopolitical dynamics? and humanitarian dynamics and a world in which there isn't the, the constrained resources of oil, coal, hydro, you know, there's the, the constraints around these resources all of a sudden become non-impactful. And there's this other source of, you know, not just renewable energy, but essentially limitless energy, right? And so what happens geopolitically and with us as a species, and with all these other species. And it feels to me, and you know, and, and you too may have your, I, I'm curious of your thoughts. It feels like there's so much strife in the world that might fall away in that future state, right? Any thoughts on like, you know, what are some things happening in the world today that you might, might say, oh, that might not happen in that future? Oh, right. Right now it's, we have a, I, I, my phone just gave me a weather alert. And we have mm -hmm. extremely cold temperatures coming and uh, snow and all the rest of it. And there are an awful lot of people 
and especially in one particular area of our city in in beautiful uh-huh. Vancouver, there's a really, really uh-huh. unfortunate side where there are hundreds of people sleeping on the street and, um, and cold. And, you know, if there was a ability to have shelter with heat <laughs> and warmth, <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's all that humanitarian side to it. Yeah, very much yeah. For me, on the back of my mind, I think that a lot of wars and conflicts in the world have their root causes, and this is untold. And um, from the control of um, of the resources, I mean, it's quite obvious. And uh, it's not even controversial. I think it's really obvious, but it's not totally um, admitted by governments uh, because it's un- it's underlying. But it's I think yeah, the bottom line is the control of natural resources. And nat- when we talk about natural resources, we talk about energy. And so if there's limitless um, energy, a source of limitless energy on this planet, there would be probably less wars. I hope. Oh, this is maybe the naive me talking, but I think that there will be probably other reasons to make war, but it's not for this reason. What do you think, Brian? Because you asked the question within. Yeah, no, I think both of those are true. I think both the humanitarian aspect, um, as well as I think assuming that we there's a democratization of access to that unlimited power, I think there's um, this sort of reduction in conflict you know, so whether that's wars or or other forms of conflict. I also think there's this beautiful thing where, you know, time is to me one of the most constrained resources we have, right? Like it, there, there's no way to make more time. And yet all of a sudden, if you have unlimited energy, then it allows you to sort of use that to achieve things that open up the availability of time and because your time doesn't go towards these certain things. And with that opening up of time, I think as we look back in history, there's these different technological, uh, you know, sort of large movements that have spurred large amounts of artistic and creative flourishment. And I think that might be one of the other beautiful things that come out of it is more beautiful things. People will have more time. If, you know, if you look at the average, uh, citizens budget a significant amount of those dollars from their take-home pay goes towards a, a spend that is essentially driven by a spend towards to paying for heating oil right or heating fuel in one fashion or another whether that's electricity oil gas whatever it is unfortunately mostly and often uh, you know fossil fuel driven that adds to our carbon cycle imbalance you know but all of a sudden Maybe they don't need to work as many hours because they don't need to pay for heating. They don't need to pay for lighting in the same kind of way. Maybe instead of if the average work week is 40 hours and heating and lighting and sort of power costs are 15% of a person's time, like that's six hours back a week. Imagine if six hours you had every week. My dog is very excited about this too. With heat. I was told more hours. <laughs> I could play with my dog. More play. More. More yeah. play time, right? I could go learn a new craft, a language, um, a musical instrument. I could go do a some artwork. Like there's all these outlets to where that same time can, I could 
go engage with more friends or go do more social give back, you know, like in, in different ways. Like that time for me is, I think this beautiful thing that we might see broad-based as energy becomes, you know, nearly unlimited or fully unlimited. I've never thought about this, but that's a great way of thinking about the future. And that gets me very excited. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> that's wonderful. I think we should we should end on this high note. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great. Some great things to come out of humanitarian, reduction conflict, arts and creativity, all these great things to come out of fusion. We know they won't be tomorrow, but hopefully soon. <laughs> and I have a new way of thinking of fusion because up until now it's been, you know, Thai fusion or <laughs> right. Right. Culinary fusion. That's right. <laughs> it's always about food. <laughs> That's what fuels us. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you uh, all for inviting me to be here. Excited to have another conversation. Absolutely. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> You've been listening to Carbon Sessions, a podcast with carbon conversations for every day with everyone from everywhere in the world. We'd love you to join the Carbon Sessions so you too can share your perspectives from wherever you are. This is a great way for our community to learn from your ideas and experiences, connect, and take action. If you want to add your voice to the conversation, go to thecarbonalmanac.org slash podcasts and sign up to be part of a future episode. This podcast is also part of the Carbon Almanac Network. For more information, to sign up for the emails, to join the movement, and to order your copy of the Carbon Almanac, go to thecarbonalmanac.org. Be sure to subscribe and join us here again as together we can change the world.